Chapter 19 of Energy and Vibration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephanie Lee. Nature's Miracles, Volume 2 Energy and Vibration by Elisha Gray. Chapter 19 The Sun's Rays Effect on Earth's Surface. In our thoughtlessness we are apt to forget how small a point of time our earth has really been a fit habitation for man. It has taken countless ages to prepare it for the higher forms of life that we find existing today, and the time that man has occupied the earth is a mere point as compared with the whole life of the earth. In earlier ages the earth was inhabited by low forms of animal life, although some of them were very large and hideous in form. The atmosphere at that remote period was not pure as it is today, and would not support such life as we find now. At a still remoter period there was no life or germ of life, animal or vegetable, at least as we understand life today, for the earth was undoubtedly a mass of molten matter, and no life or germs of life could exist in such heat. I am aware that certain biologists hold to the idea that inanimate matter contains all the potency necessary for what we would call spontaneous generation. But such proofs as are presented do not seem to me sufficient. Then, if that is the case, you will say, there must have been a time when there was a creative act to give a start to these forms of animal and vegetable life. So it would seem, for the science of today goes to prove, so far as it proves anything, that all life comes from another life. Evolution does not help us, because it runs back to a primordial germ, and only indicates how the single and simple develop into the diverse and manifold. It tells how, but not whence. Whence, then, the primordial germ? If there was a time when there was no life, then evolution makes something come from nothing. Later investigation goes to show that all life, animal or vegetable, comes from a germ having in it all the potentialities to make it develop after its kind. However much we may speculate, we know that plants and trees grow from seeds. The acorn will produce an oak, and the grain of wheat other grains of wheat. At the present day all the heat at the surface of the earth, except the comparatively little furnished by volcanoes and thermal springs, and the very trifle radiated from some of the stars, comes from the sun. The sun is such an important factor in all the operations of the solar system that we should know something of what it is. Its distance from the earth is something over ninety million of miles, more or less according to the time of year. It is the largest body that our telescopes reveal as a globe but not the largest in existence, so astronomy teaches. Other systems are supposed to have their suns much larger than ours. Some of the fixed stars visible to our eyes are supposed to be suns of other systems, but they are so remote that they do not affect the heat of our earth to any appreciable extent. The diameter of the sun is 108 times that of the earth, and its surface exceeds that of the earth 11,750 times. If we make a circle two inches in diameter to represent the sun, we will have to make a mere dot no over one sixty-fourth of an inch in diameter to represent the relative size of the earth to that of the sun. If we should fire a cannonball whose velocity, at its start, is the same as that of our Armstrong guns, it would require thirteen years for it to reach the sun if it kept up its initial velocity. Light at the rate of 186,000 miles per second requires 8 minutes and 18 seconds to reach the earth from the sun. It would require a lifetime for light to come from some of the fixed stars. So they would shine on, to our eyes, for years after they were extinct. 
the sun appears to have the same material elements that are found upon the earth this fact is revealed by the spectroscope the spectroscope shows certain lines that belong to the different elements when burned and viewed through this instrument by examining the sun in the same way we find the same lines and conclude that they arise from the same causes the rays of the sun have wonderful powers of analysis when this earth had cooled so that a crust had formed and dry land appeared at first it was hard but under the influence of the sun's rays for ages coupled with the precipitation of moisture a gradual disintegration began which released a certain portion of the oxygen stored up in the igneous rocks which in turn was thrown out into the surrounding air and thus purified it a study of the disintegrated lava beds in the western parts of this continent show them to be very fertile for purposes of vegetable growth when sufficient moisture is present when the mineral substances on the earth's surface had been disintegrated and prepared by ages of incessant work in nature's great laboratory and the soil was properly pulverized the seeds of animal and vegetable life were sown how we will leave the reader to conjecture that they were sown we know it is the province of the scientist to reveal the facts of nature as they now exist and leave the rest to the speculation of the philosopher and the theologian the growth of vegetation made it possible for animal and insect life to exist and the earth teemed with both first of an inferior kind but later as the conditions for a higher order of life were right the higher order came with the improved conditions in this way was the earth through countless ages of time prepared for man god's highest creation as time progressed and new conditions arose new germs of animal and vegetable life must have been brought into existence or possibly diversified from the germs already existent to take an active part in nature's grand round of life and growth why nature has produced such myriads of forms of animal and vegetable life has been the subject of much speculation some have held to the idea that many insects and poisonous reptiles have been sent as a scourge to mankind that flies mosquitoes and the like were placed here to keep men from having too good a time if this is true it would seem that the scheme does not work in all cases for the same power that gave the mosquito his sting also gave man an intellect and made him an inventor and one of the products of his creative faculties is a system of mosquito bars and other defenses against these pests it is certain however that the animal creation plays a very important part in the economy of nature as we shall see farther along all animals including the human race are sons and daughters of the sun all the food that we eat is prepared by the sun including the very air that we breathe every animal organism besides having the power of assimilation and growth is also a furnace in which a slow combustion is going on which keeps up the heat of the body so that a very considerable portion of the food we eat is simply so much fuel which is consumed as such by a process of oxidation that in a stove we would call combustion the draught to the human stove is through the lungs the blood which has been prepared through the medium of the digestive organs is pumped into the lungs the lung cells are divided into two parts by a very thin membrane one side of the membrane communicates with the outside air and the other with the blood circulation this membrane is porous to gases so that the oxygen penetrates it uniting with the hydrocarbons of the blood and the product of this union is heat and carbon dioxide carbon dioxide is a gas composed of one atom of carbon and two atoms of oxygen it was formerly called carbonic acid the heat warms the body and the carbon dioxide passing through the membrane is thrown out of the lungs by each expiration you will observe that the production of combustion that is thrown out into the air by the animal 
is the same that comes from the chimney of a lamp or stove, to wit, carbon dioxide. Animal life cannot exist in pure carbon dioxide. If one should shut himself up in a room with burning charcoal, which gives off this gas in great quantities, and was obliged to inhale it, he would soon smother to death. A candle or any flame put into a vessel of pure carbon dioxide goes out immediately, as there is no free oxygen to support the flame. One would think that, what with all the fires and gas jets that are burning in the world, together with all the exhalations from the animal kingdom, the air would soon become unfit to breathe, especially as carbon dioxide is heavier than air at the same temperature. The reason it goes up the chimney is because it is greatly expanded by the heat of combustion, but as soon as it cools it drops to the earth. This is why it is found in wells and deep mines. I have seen a large kettle of blazing faggots put out entirely by being lowered into a fire damp, which is only this carbon dioxide, the product of combustion. Combustion is going on slowly in the process of decay, so that carbon dioxide comes from other sources than fires and the exhalations of animal life. Nature, however, has provided in a beautiful way a means of taking care of this surplus gas that is poisonous to animal life. Plants and trees and all sorts of vegetation thrive upon what the animal rejects as poison. The leaves of trees take up this poisonous gas and live upon it, in connection with moisture, and the little that is drawn from the earth, so that there is an eternal round of interrelation and interdependence between the animal and vegetable kingdoms. Here we have found at least one very important use for the abundant animal life in the natural world. But you say this constitutes a perpetual motion. It would if we had told the whole story. This operation could not be carried out without the aid of the sun. The leaf of the tree is nature's great laboratory. Through it she carries on some of her most wonderful operations. In it are appliances for analysis transcending all those in all the artificial laboratories of the world. Here water and carbon dioxide are decomposed, the tree or plant incorporating the carbon and the hydrogen into the woody fiber while it gives back to the air pure oxygen, which is a life-giving principle of animal existence. The magical power that is able, through the mechanism of the leaf, to accomplish this miracle of miracles is the quiet sunbeam. Silently from day to day, this wonderful power, without which all activity of every name in nature would cease, is storing up its energy in the vegetation of the world, and through the vegetation is supporting the lower animal, and directly, as well as through the lower animal, man. There is food in grass, but the human stomach could not extract it, as there is too much that is not food mixed with it. The ox is organized for appropriating such food, and through the flesh of the ox man gets it in a condensed state. We have seen that all the combustible material on the earth and under the earth has been put there at some period by the action of the sun's rays. All the coal, all the oil, all the natural gas under the earth, and all the wood on the surface of the earth, is simply so much stored energy. A great weight, as it were, wound up by the magic power of the fluttering leaf acting upon by the sunbeam, through ages of time. We dig the coal, we ignite it, and a mighty steamer ploughs the ocean by an energy that the sun has stored away ages ago, and now has been released by striking a match. Thousands of people on thousands of railroad trains are flying here and there all over the civilized world by an energy that was stored thousands of years ago. All the wheels that turn in all this wide, wide world, all the winds that blow with all the waves they create, all the tornadoes and cyclones, all the rains of summer and the snows of winter, all the thunder, lightning, and hail 
can be traced to one common origin the sun and this is not all every man animal or insect every living thing that now lives or ever has lived either animal or vegetable owes its life directly to the same source when we see a vast conflagration we wonder if there is any power that can restore the apparent destruction yes a way is provided a few years of sunshine and all is restored our homeopathic friends have a motto similia similibus curentur like cures like the destruction caused by heat is restored by heat the products of combustion arising from the burning building are gathered up and by the magic of the sun's rays acting through the leaves of the forest new wood is formed and more energy is stored the amount of energy stored in a cubic foot of the best coal is equal to a power that would raise a weight of three thousand six hundred sixty tons one hundred feet or seven hundred thirty two million pounds one foot this statement supposes that all of the energy stored in the coal is converted into mechanical energy in practice only about five per cent of the energy of the fuel burned under a boiler is converted into mechanical work the problem of increasing the percentage of work obtained from a given amount of heat energy liberated by combustion has been worked upon by many inventors and as yet with only partial success when we are able by simple means to utilize the changes of temperature as a motive power we shall no longer be dependent upon fuel combustion as a source of heat when the energy expended in contraction and expansion caused by the daily changes of temperature can be utilized to drive our dynamos then from these we can obtain heat light and power to minister to our bodily comfort and to carry on the activities of everyday life you ask why not utilize the direct rays of the sun or the force of the winds we could use these but the sun does not always shine nor does the wind always blow while changes of temperature always occur once at least in twenty-four hours another effect of the sun upon the earth's surface is seen in the tides it is a common notion that the moon controls the tides entirely and to the largest extent it does simply because it is so much nearer to the earth than the sun the effect of the sun may be seen in the greatest degree at such times as the sun and moon are pulling together in a direct line upon the water of the earth their combined attractions when there is complete cooperation cause a much higher tide than at other times see volume one tides but when the sun and moon are so related in their position with reference to the earth as to work against each other the result is a much lower tide if each had the same influence upon the earth as mere attractions there would be times when the tidal wave would be entirely neutralized if the forces could be properly related just as two sound waves will neutralize each other when they are of the same amplitude and related in a certain way it will be seen that it is not the heat of the sun but its attraction that produces the tidal effect in all other respects its power on the earth is greater than that of the moon the moon can shine only because the sun shines upon it it has no luminous qualities of its own in fact the sun may be said in a sense to be the whole and only producer of the tides because in all probability the moon is indirectly a creature of the sun and at one time was part of it in this aspect of the case the moon's power over the tides is only a power that was delegated to it by the sun taking once more a large view of these interchangeable forms of energy working through matter let us return to our earlier conclusions first matter is indestructible we may rend it asunder atom by atom we may subject it to the most intense heat known in nature and still the matter exists in some form and if you gather it up from all the hiding places in the material universe 
and weigh it, you will find that none has been lost. The measure of matter, then, is weight, so with energy. It disappears perhaps for ages, but under certain circumstances it will reappear and do the same work that was expended in storing it away. Energy, like matter, is indestructible, and the measure of energy is work. What shall we say of the intelligence that plans all this? Can the creator be less than the creature? Shall we not say that intelligence is indestructible, and its measure is its power to adapt means to ends? Intelligence, matter, energy, nature's trinity in her manifestations. End of chapter 19